Welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, where your host, Andy Jacob, interviews leading entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs about their incredible companies and discusses their unique entrepreneurial journeys. If you're the CEO or founder of an exciting and exceptional company, the editorial team of Dotcom Magazine welcomes you to pitch your business story to appear on this exciting interview series by reaching out to Mr. Jacob at Dotcom Magazine at dotcommagazine.com. And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Hello, everyone. Andy Jacob here with the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Wow. I've been waiting for this show for a number of weeks, and this is going to be a great one. You know, when it comes to marketing and brand positioning and brand development, there are certain leaders in the field that when I go through my Rolodex, their names stand out. And I've got Mr. Brad Casper on the show today. He is a leader in the field. He actually is the CEO and co-founder of Heart and Soul Marketing. I love what they're doing so much. They really are a leader in the field. Their clients love them. Brad and his entire team have such a great breadth of knowledge. Going back many, many years in this space, it's just such a delight and an honor to have Brad on the show today. Brad, welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been uh, great to get to know you, and I'm so honored to be a part of this today. Brad, it's so great to have you on the show. We'll get into your background and experience in a little bit because, you know, if I started now, it would take me 30 minutes just to get through everything you've done in your life with all the successes you've had. But let's focus in on heart and soul marketing right now. Let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet and tell us about the company. Happy to. Um, it's been just a little over a year since Matt Moore, uh, my co-founder, president and chief creative officer, and I formed Heart and Soul Marketing. It was early October of 2020. Yeah, the pandemic was raging away and we did make a decision to form a new agency. He and I had been partners at another agency immediately prior to that. We had had quite a bit of success at that other firm, but we felt like we were ready for our own unique opportunity so we could cultivate a culture and frankly attract clients that would, would kind of align with our mission and our purpose and values. And uh, we're off and running now 12 months and two weeks later. I love it, Brad. And your, your background and experience is so unique. You know, on the website, there's something that just makes me laugh so much. And, you know, on your bio, it says you couldn't keep a regular job. So then, you, you know, you decided to start, you know, Heart and Soul Marketing with Matt Moore. What is it about this sense of humor that you have and this unique look at the world that makes you this leader in brand strategy, positioning, positioning and marketing? Well, I think, you know, uh, obviously having some humility and having some sense of humor has aided me over time. And I have gone through a lot of different career twists and turns from General Electric to Procter & Gamble to Church & Dwight to the Dial CEO to the Phoenix Suns and then some private equity backed opportunities in between that. 
Uh, so it's, it, it helps to poke fun at myself. Some of those changes were brought on by my own decisions. Some of those I was encouraged to make. Um, and I, I think you have to look at your, your journey and, and you have to recognize that, you know, sometimes you never know where that left hand turn or right hand turn is going to come up and you take it. Uh, but you got to make the most of it. And I think the one constant for the last 30 plus years has been my focus and my love on, on, of brands. And when you're at Procter & Gamble and you're working in the advertising and the marketing department, if you do not love brands and learn to project yourself into the consumer's shoes to look at a brand through that lens, well, then you're not going to stay in this industry very long. But I've said to people for the last 30 years, when you work in the consumer goods industry, you're never bored a single day in your life because you're constantly challenged, whether it be consumer issues, retail issues, packaging, uh, sustainability, you name it. And so, uh, but I, I do love brands and I differentiate brands, of course, from private label and other things. But one of the things I think I've grown to appreciate over time, Andy, is that the brands aren't just physical things, they're services and they're actually personal brands too. And so I've probably been more cognizant of my own personal brand over the last several years than at any other time either. I love it. It makes all the sense. And you have 30 years or more of multinational client-side expertise at GE, P&G, Church and Dwight, Dwyle, and really multiple private, private equity firms as well. You've done uh, a number of flips in your career. When people come to your company, the heart yeah. and soul right now, the companies, what are they looking for? What's their big problem? They're, they're coming to you and you know they're saying, Brad, uh, and Matt and entire team over at, you know, heart and soul, we need your help. Yeah. Great question. And, and of course, with a client list that we have about anywhere from 12 to 15 clients right now in our first year, and we're absolutely grateful for each and every one of them. Each of them has slightly different needs, but I think the common thread that runs through them, I think we're a little bit more surprised at this than we were at our prior firm. People are coming to us saying, wow, um, we need help with our brand identity, both the logos and the looks and the feels of it, but also what does our brand stand for? What do we want to stand for? And I believe that maybe one of the threads that has come out, when we established Heart and Soul Marketing, Matt and I said we wanted to be a purpose-driven company and we were hoping to attract purpose-driven clients. And that's what we're seeing. Some of these companies have well-defined purposes and they want us to help amplify them. But the vast majority have probably not identified what they think their why is and maybe even who their target audiences are. So we're doing a lot of strategy work up front. And then they're saying, hey, listen, it's time to begin marketing our uh, brands and our products more overtly to consumers but we don't want to dive in with a, you know, a half a million dollar TV commercial and, and millions of dollars in media spending. They're looking to take baby steps, social media, digital, some upper funnel marketing activities, as well as lower funnel conversion activities. And I think they've seen us as an agile, uh, obviously newbie, but newbie in a way that it's fresh and, and, and it's exciting, but it's also very experienced. And so I think that's what we've seen, but it's, it's really that full marketing cycle we're getting an opportunity to make impact on right now, Andy, and that really excites our team. 
Yeah, it's incredible. And, and, and certainly, you know, your background and experience and the team you've assembled are all world class. Let's talk about brand a little bit. And let's talk about sort of brand strategy and positioning, because I find that very interesting. You know, you mentioned some of these companies are coming to you and they're kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe we don't even know what our brand is anymore. We're a little, it's a little confusing. It's a little sort of uh, diminished, or maybe it's uh, maybe in an area that we don't want our brand to be known for. So when we think of a brand, okay, at a high level, Brad, is there, is it really like a psychology, like what you want the customer to feel, what you want your clients to feel from the brand? What's the key about coming up with a good brand identity? Excellent question. And and one of the mnemonic devices we've used to help ourselves as an agency and our, our clients come along on this branding journey, imagine almost like a bullseye. And in, in the center of the bullseye, we put the word purpose. And then the next ring out from that, we say vision and then mission and values, and then ultimately positioning. So it's a series of concentric circles. And it's a little bit like when you skip a a stone on a pond and it breaks through and you see those ripples move out. It all starts with the why, which is the purpose. And we help companies identify that larger, you know, reason for their existence. Certainly Simon Sinek gets a lot of credit for asking that rhetorical question, what's your why? But then it went from a personal why to a corporate why and a lot of companies. And I do believe that COVID and some of the social unrest that we saw combined with these cohorts of millennials and Gen Z who are the most purpose-driven audiences probably that this world has ever known, they want it to be more of that triple bottom line. They want to see that companies are standing for more than just profit. They want to see that they're doing well by doing good. And so we're helping companies kind of unlock that why. That makes each and every additional concentric circle a, a, a little bit more defining of that uniqueness. What we're trying to help them, by the time we get out to the final ring of positioning, how do we position our clients' brands to win in the mind of the consumer or the customer. And that, so we often do kind of a positioning matrix about how we can find that white space in crowded markets and pull our brands and our clients' brands apart. And it's been enormously gratifying to hear people say, let me give you an example, a quote from a client last year, last week. Um, They've been open for about nine years. And the, the founder said, Brad, it took you about four weeks to figure out what we've been trying to figure out for 10 years about what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, he was very emotional about this, that you don't understand. We, we, we struggled for so long and now it's become so clear and so energizing. And, and that's the kind of remarkable feedback we, we love and, and we hope our clients come to expect. I love it. Well, they're they're raving about it. And of course, you do public relations, media planning and buying. You know, you do influencer marketing, you do social media, real-time content creation, the full suite of things that you would expect. But what yes. you don't expect from a company like yours is the fact that, you know, you treat each company like you're really an extension of them. You treat each company like you're really a partner, like you're really part of their business. 
Where did that sort of mindset, Brad, where did that come from for you and Matt to sort of say to yourselves, you know, we're going to open up this, this new firm, yeah, heart and soul, but what we're really going to do is we're going to become a partner of our partners. Yeah. No, that's really well said, Andy. And I, I think at our, our, our previous firm, as Matt and I helped scale that firm pretty doggone significantly over a four and a half year period uh, from, you know, 30 or 35 employees to 140 or so employees and from a dozen clients to like 50 clients. One of the things that we, we realized and, and we had some national clients tell us literally verbatim, Brad, you and Matt being in these meetings makes us feel like you are an extension of our team. And, and that is something that we don't get from other national agencies and public holding company agencies. And so we said, God, maybe that's part of our secret sauce. Um, feel like an extension of the teams. A lot of times the companies that we attract as clients, you know, they're, they're challenged because their marketing departments are smaller and everyone's fighting for additional resources. And when they see like symbiotic relationship between their agency and their own marketing team. It feels like they can do more with less. And, and so I think that's what has, and, and Matt and I are pretty passionate people. You don't call your brand heart and soul. If you're a bunch of deadbeats, we are very emotive and we really love to roll up our sleeves and get into it with our clients. And we think that that's, been a part of that success we've enjoyed in the not just in the first year of our company, but over the past several years when we started working together. I love it. It makes all the sense in the world. Now let's talk about feelings. And I know it's kind of this esoteric thing, and it's yeah. kind of strange. We're on the dot com magazine entrepreneur spotlight show. You know, we're all driven by technologies these days. But when your clients come to you, yeah, typically. What type of feeling do they want their customers to have about their about their company? You know, can we can we can we say that generally speaking for all the clients that you have that they want this certain kind of vibe or feel from their clients? Yes, uh, even B two B, which you know historically hasn't thought so much about emotions, even their. Um, recognition that emotion and feelings play a significant part. Um, I I think about that Maya Angelou quote, uh, they won't always remember what you say, but they'll remember how they how you make them feel. And and we use that as almost a, frankly, a a part of our DNA. Uh, Again, when your brand is called heart and soul, you better be good at uh, uncovering those emotions that begin to change behavior, change action, and create purchase uh, opportunities. I would say that, you know, when we try to get into the benefits of our clients' brands, uh, their products or their services, we have to go well beyond the functional aspects because almost everybody's hitting on that. Uh, So we then have to find what are those emotional benefits? What's that hierarchy of needs that maybe a little bit more insightful, a little more granular and not as obvious, but when we find that aha, it's almost always some sort of connection. We say the distance between the heart and the head is not very, it's only a foot or so apart, but man, if we can bring those things really close together so that people are 
are, are making decisions as much uh, based on their the way they feel as the way they think, then our clients typically win because ultimately many, many uh, purchase decisions are emotional. And yeah, that's interesting, Brad. That's super interesting. And, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it was leading me to another thought. You okay. know, when we think about younger entrepreneurs and we think about people in startups and we, and, you know, of course you work, uh, you've worked with everyone from startups to, you know, fortune 100 companies. Yes. Let's focus in on a guy or a gal that has a startup and let's focus in on sort of their mentality just a little bit. And maybe you can give some advice to the younger entrepreneurs watching the show or the older entrepreneurs watching the show that have a newer company. And they're sort of right. thinking about what they want their, their brand to be, what they want people to think about their company. Are there certain sort of ideas or cues or advice that you can give for the younger entrepreneurs or the older entrepreneurs with a new company on what they need to think about to get that new company in the, in the right mind frame to give a good brand strategy out to the, to the world at large? Wow. Excellent question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that before. Um, you know, I, I, we have a number of clients, some of whom are very entrepreneurial and had already made decisions about their brand name, their product, their pricing, et cetera. And, and they're, and we're finding in some cases we have to unwind some of these things because they made the decision about their brand name, thinking about either the function or the process of the product, not that higher end benefit that will probably, frankly, justify purchase decisions and premium pricing and stuff like that. So I, first of all, I, my thought to all entrepreneurs, if you've got an idea, if you have an instinct that you wanna start a company, um, obviously it took me 35 or 40 years to summon the courage to start my own company because I didn't know if I had the DNA to be successful at it. Um, eventually, you have to make the plunge, but you can make an informed plunge by having a really clear understanding of what your brand or your product is going to stand for over time. How is it going to it's almost impossible to be purely differentiated against every alternative in an industry or a sector because there aren't too many original ideas left. But as long as you're very clear about what your brand stands for and you're willing to have it stand the test of time, get some feedback. Get, it could be small based. There's a lot of ways to get inexpensive consumer research today using a phone or a survey uh, almost crowdsourcing of ideas to, to say, do I have a basis to win? Do I have a basis to succeed? Some of our clients, I think, have been just going on complete gut and then building hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory on gut. And that can be a very expensive lesson to learn. Um, I would also tell people, vet some ideas, make sure it makes sense, um, hire a professional team to help you. Uh, I know some people need to bootstrap it, but there are other agencies who can help you bootstrap it efficiently and effectively. Um, but I think you got to really begin with a clear understanding of where you want to be over time. And a lot of people only think about the first year. And, and I know Matt and I were thinking, where do we want to be in five years? And what are the building blocks that will get us there? And I think most companies can follow a building block approach. 
That's great advice, Brad. You know, you mentioned reaching out to others for advice, and that leads me to start thinking about team. You know, and I know, Brad, you've been on some amazing teams throughout your career. You've you've led teams throughout your career. And now, of course, you and Matt are putting together a world-class team at Heart and Soul. So when we think about team, you know, from your perspective, how important is the team for the success of a company? And maybe you could touch on that a little bit because a lot of people are very interested in, in team building. Absolutely. No, fundamental. Um, you know, some entrepreneurs know that they're going to end up doing it themselves or maybe with family members. Uh, but ultimately, the success of an enterprise is probably an intersection of the quality of the original idea plus the quality of the team that's behind it. And, and I know some people by now, most of your listeners and viewers, Andy, really understand the importance of culture. But let's face it, uh, culture is that blanket that wraps your team uh, like, a, not like a blanket itself. That culture is so critical to creating a team that's efficient, effective, and motivated, inspired, and capable of, of doing great things together. It has to have some hubris. It has to have um, one of the things I'm really proud of at heart and soul. And, and some of it is the, 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 we set out a culture, a cultural contract. You know, some people have four or five core values. We have 20. And we said, these are the behaviors and attitudes of what it's going to be required to succeed. And we ask everybody before they sign a contract, before they join us, read this, internalize this. Can you live this? And do you want to live this? Does anything of this not resonate with you? Um, and so it's so, uh, for us, that allows us to make sure that we've got that aligned spirit. And, and what has manifested because there's this, one of our employees, a vice president is also a stand-up comedian. And uh, obviously COVID has had an, a negative impact if you will, on his stand-up routines, but what other audiences maybe have lost by not seeing Jason speak, our team gets to see every day. I just came off of Zoom a few minutes ago. And again, to break up the seriousness of, of a project planning meeting, he's putting on these digital masks and hats and, and mustaches, and then everybody else starts doing it. And it just creates a collegiality, creates a familiarity. And it's, it, again, it aligns with one of our, our cultural contract pillars, which is it's okay to have fun. Uh, if what we're doing isn't fun, you shouldn't be doing it. And it's nice that when we have people who contribute and people who used to be shy and reserved, they're coming up with their own zingers uh, in the chat room, sending off a, like, oh, wow, that, was a, that one hurt. But it's all in a sense of fun. Uh, it's kind of like a big family. I love it, Brad. You know, corporate culture starts at the top. You and Matt are building such a great corporate culture over there. Now, Brad, one of the things that I know that you're known for is asking great questions. Mm. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because you have people that come on to, you know, your platform. They, they reach out to you. They've heard about the, the great work that you've done throughout your career and Matt and the entire team. What are some of the important questions, Brad, that you ask in the onboarding process of these companies? You know, you have a CEO comes out and he says, you know, or she says, of course, 
you know, I'm not sure our, our brand is right. I'm not sure our strategy is right. Like you mentioned, somebody said to you, you know, we've had the wrong strategy and brand for the brand strategy for the last seven to 10 years. And in a few weeks, you know, you nailed it for us. What types of questions do you ask to get to the heart of the matter with regard to helping these customers and clients? Yeah, I, you know, it's all part of a discovery process. Um, for the most part, we want our clients to begin doing the talking. And it might be just simply, um, tell us how you got started. Tell us how you selected that brand or that name um, and, and then let them go on about it. And then it, it shifts from not only how they got to where they are today, but what's missing? What, what is not happening that you think you may need a, a partner like Heart and Soul for? And now all of a sudden they start to uh, reveal some of their unmet needs, some of the dissatisfiers. Sometimes it's a previous agency that uh, I was on a, a CEO alliance call yesterday and a guy was saying, God, we hired all these great agencies and they did this and this and this, but it's just not working. And, and then you start to ask, well, Why? And, and what's preventing you from doing this or that? And then you might find, oh, okay, then there's board members and, oh, they've got vested interest. And so it's just a series of very short little questions that force them to, you know, they, they, they reveal so much. And it's typically the emotions that start to come out. And that allows us to say, well, would you be willing to talk about that? because that really shows a vulnerability. Um, is that something that we could make part of your brand story? Oh no, I'm not, I don't want to go there. Well, so it, it's, it, you know, I lived in Japan with Procter and Gamble uh, for six years. And of course, as a non-native speaker uh, and, and never very good at Japanese, I, I had to listen through translation, but I also had to listen with my eyes because what I couldn't understand in the language, I often could, um, discern from watching people in focus groups. And I remember a time when I took off my headphones through simultaneous translation and I turned to my translator and I said, she actually doesn't like our product. She said she does, but I don't think she does. And she goes, oh, Brad, Kasperson, she said, how, how, did, how did you know? I said, well, she's too polite um, and, and she feels like it would hurt my feelings to tell me my skincare product sucks. Uh, or didn't meet her needs, but I could tell it in her body language. She says, that's very, very good. I think that kind of engaged listening, that in empathetic listening, or what the Japanese used to call enthusiastic listening, and you do a great job of it, Andy, because you're nodding and you're giving reaffirmation that I'm listening to you, Brad. Um, that's really, really important when you're trying to get, talk to a client. If they think you're just heads down and you're kind of unemotional, uh, they're not going to open up as much. But when you see somebody leaning in, taking notes, and, and really that's how I think we begin that idea of being that extension of the team. When we listen with that intent to solve, not to judge, we get, we get amazing transparency. I love it. That's a mini Harvard MBA event right there for the people watching the show. Rewind what Brad just said. You know, when you go to Harvard and you sit in the classroom and you have the professors giving you case studies and all the students are, you know, trying to get the best answer to solve the problem, those, those case studies happen in a classroom. They're not really 
firmly planted as an entrepreneur's feet are on the floor in real life. So what Brad just shared with you, this great story where someone, you know, in Japan called him Kasper-san and, and he was able to see not only the verbal language, but the body language of the people that he was talking to. And that's one of the keys to success. And that's a great story, Brad. I love that so much. I want to turn the conversation to entrepreneurship. And I know you've only cut out a certain amount of time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. But we have a lot of younger entrepreneurs watching the show and they might be watching this saying, you know, here, Brad Casper, Casper son, if you will, you know, he, uh, He's got a great business. He built this business with Matt. He's already got 12, 13, 14 clients after you know a year or so. And he's got 35 years of experience with these Fortune 100 companies. Has Brad ever experienced a problem in entrepreneurship? Has he ever had a challenge? You know, Younger entrepreneurs sometimes, Brad, they're hitting a pothole right now. They're hitting a challenge or a big roadblock or a wall that they can't get through. Maybe you could give some advice to the younger entrepreneurs watching the show that are maybe hitting this type of roadblock right now from your experience about how to get through it and how to come out smelling like a rose on the other side. Yeah, I guess um, obviously in, in terms of starting my own company, that was only a year ago. And I think that one of the early, you know, we had new clients within four weeks. It was really kind of a field of dreams thing. Brad, if you and Matt build it, we will come. So unlike some companies that start out who don't know if they're going to have a customer ever come over, we had that kind of baked in from day one. However, it's never enough to have only one or two clients. You have to add additional clients. We were kind of probably flailing around a little bit in January, February, and March. And, and we found ourselves chasing down alleys and maybe even going after clients that Either we either didn't have a right to win. And frankly, if we had won it, we probably wouldn't have been that happy anyway. But we were so obsessed with getting additional revenue, additional clients. We finally paused a little bit after we were going after all these RFPs, requests for you know uh, performance or a request for proposal. And we ask ourselves, wait a minute, we're well-connected. We have great reputations. If we're applying blindly to these RFPs, what's our probability of success? They don't know us. Yes, we can try to compete for it, but our batting average was about 25%. We batted 250. When we finally went back to our Rolodexes and we went back to trying to get our word of mouth out, uh, all of a sudden we won about eight clients in 10 weeks. And, and so I guess the moral of that story, Andy, is make sure you don't just keep chasing around because activity and progress are different things. Make sure that you're intentional and you're thoughtful and you're strategic about what you're going after. Um, and, and hopefully it's going to be anchored in what you do is exceptionally well and different and better than others. Uh, play to your strengths. Um, it's not, you don't have enough time to address all your weaknesses, play to your strengths and presumably you have enough to get you through that next wicket. And, and that's what Matt and I did and, and really gained a lot of traction. Eight, eight or nine months in, uh, I think we rediscovered our company and why we wanted to start it in the first place. Brad, that's remarkable. And, and what you just said is a real gem. I mean, it really is such a poignant point that you made where activity and progress are different things. And I think I want to bring you back on the show 
And I think I, I, I want to have you back on the show so we can talk about some of these things and unpack some of these things that we spoke about at a high level today, because it's so deep and your experience is so deep. I think it would be very fascinating to talk about some more of, of these concepts that you have. I mean, this activity and progress are different things. That's a gem. I mean, that's something I could talk to you for 30 minutes about, you know, maybe 30 days about, maybe that should be the title of your new book coming out. I mean, it's really a great, great quote. Um, Brad, listen, what you are doing, what you and Matt are doing, the entire team with this agency, I guess you call it on your website, the dark side is really interesting. I love the humor that you bring to everything that you do. And you mentioned that earlier. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that, you know, it has to be fun. And mm -hmm. you and your team not only are very serious in, in the success of your clients, but also it's a very fun journey and you become a true partner, uh, of course, henceforth the name Heart and Soul Marketing, because with that kind of a name, you know, you have no option than to become part of the heart and soul of your clients. And I love that so much. And it was just a deliberate move in terms of a name to make sure that everybody on your team is in the right space, the right frame of mind to give that type of heart and soul to your clients. So it's really remarkable. Brad, this has been awesome. And I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today. Well, my pleasure. Thank you, Andy, and I'd love uh, a return visit. It'd be great.